Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. I suppose a mic wearing out is a reminder that my body will one day too, so I shall not complain about the shelf life of microphones. Okay. Uh, I was saying that those of you uh, who find yourselves uh, battling colds and flus and those kinds of things, um, know that your friends care about you and that we pray for you. Um, as, as we read the scriptures, we, we come across the, the stories of a great big God who, who moves in such ways as to affect the course of human history, but who also tunes in really close into the lives of individual people. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we, we read Jesus saying that the Father himself knows things like when a sparrow falls out of the sky. He knows things like the numbers of the hairs of your head. And so both your joy, your sorrow, your discomfort too, these things matter to God. So understand that as those calls come to the church office, so-and-so is sick. As the, as the calls go out to your connection group, so-and-so is under the weather. Understand that while it's true that at one level we're thinking, man, I hope they stay home. Um, it's also the case that we're praying for you as you do. Well, here we sit in the, uh, at the end of the th- third week of January. Hmm. New year flying by at warp speed. We started this year, January 1st, in the sanctuary here because January 1st was a Sunday. And we started that day by the way that we typically do as we, as we enter a new year, taking a look in, inside of ourselves, taking a look at, over our shoulders at the last year and saying, well, how'd I do? And as we look at the year in front of us, most of us are at some level or another thinking, you know, I'd like to do better this year than I did last year. Whether that's uh, in terms of your physical fitness and health, whether it's in regards to the overtly spiritual parts of your life, some of you have some financial goals, some career goals, educational goals. Most of us, when we come to a new year, we look over our shoulders and go, well, what was uh, can't be changed, but what's coming, I want to do something about that. And so we started this new year looking at maybe some new gear for the new year that can help make a new you. And if you find yourself week number three saying, I need a restart or I'm getting a late start on this, then you can uh, check out the church website um, uh, firstnas.com and take a look at the media page and that'll kind of kind of help catch you up on on some ways that you can get some new gear for the new year and a new you. Uh, Those first couple of weeks, we really kind of focused in on Romans chapter 12, looking at what what Paul taught us about the possibility of real and lasting change. I mean, that, that kind of deep change that could truly be called transformation. It only happens, Paul taught us, if our minds also go through a deep and lasting change. And the way that a mind goes through the change is by coming back to the truth and, as much as we hate to do this, changing our minds. Changing our minds about some of the ways that we used to think about living in this world. And, and so here we sit in a year that isn't quite new anymore. And I want to remind us one more time that if anything's going to change in, because of, say, today's sermon... If anything in your life is going to be different on January 23rd and going forward, it will also be because you listened to the word of God, you listened to the voice of God, 
and you decided to change your mind about something in your life and, and walk it out differently. Um, that being the case, that, that all of us tend to, to go that direction at the beginning of the year, and probably by week number three, most of us uh, have also realized, oh, huh, not doing quite as well as I'd hope on those New Year's resolutions. I want to bring us back to, to the essentials one more time. Uh, I am no Green Bay Packers fan. Okay? I am no Green Bay Packers fan. Why, you ask? Because of the mythology of the Kansas City Chiefs team. They lost in Super Bowl I. Therefore, I have to hate the Packers forever. You understand. You understand. Yeah, I'm no fan of the Green Bay Packers, but I'm a big fan of Vince Lombardi because Vince Lombardi was a guy who understood how to win and keep on winning. And so his very first day as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, he brought all these professional football players into the locker room, sat them down, and held up a football and said, Gentlemen... This is a football. And they all kind of scoffed at him. He said, we need to nail down the basics. And champions are built off of mastering the basics. So this morning, I want to talk with you, and over the next few weeks, one more time about the essentials of the Christian faith and Christian living. I want us to come back to the things that can make us great in terms of following Jesus Christ and having a real effect for him in this world. I kind of got a, a jump start on it a couple of weeks ago when Steve and I sat up here and, and talked together about the business of serving. That's one of the, the truest expressions of the life of the followers of Jesus. I want you to know that last week, I saw you one more time express the Christ-following life. We had our friends Scott and Suzanne Maines with us here from Life Choices Ministries and Clinic, and I want to offer you my personal thanks for the $1,000 that you raised with almost no warning to help support that ministry. Your generosity reflects Jesus and his love to that ministry and to the world. So I want to add, add my thanks for that. But today, I want to, I want to while we kind of backed into the business of, of discipleship when Steve and I started a couple of weeks ago, today I want to come back to the basics and, and remind us that the church has one mission. Not 13, not 27, not even two or three to choose from. The church of Jesus Christ. Every congregation within it, regardless of its denomination or lack thereof, has one mission because Jesus himself gave a mission to his church. After he had lived in a way that was exemplary, after he had died in a way that was selfless and sacrificial, after he'd been resurrected from the dead, proving that human beings can have a new kind of life, he then got ready to head back to heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And before he left, he said to his first followers, you have a mission. Here it is. He stated it from his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, here comes the order, go and make disciples. The mission for the church of Jesus Christ is to make more disciples for Jesus. You can only do that, however, if you know what one is. And it can be a pretty complex definition, this whole disciple thing. So trying to make it as practical as we know how, we've boiled it down to three things. A disciple of Jesus is someone who connects with God and other people, who intentionally grows in their faith, and who then embarks on a lifestyle of service. 
The disciples of Jesus are people who connect with God and others, who grow in their faith, and who then live a lifestyle of service to others. We do it out of love, but we also then experience it as true life for the very first time in our lives, feeling really, really alive because we're giving our lives away to others. And this morning, I want to just focus in on the beginning part of that, the business of what it means to connect with God, and more importantly, how you can do it. Because we can have this great definition of connection with God, of salvation, of life with him, however you want to put it. But if you don't know how to begin it, and you don't know how to continue it, and you don't know how to sustain it for a lifetime, um, all you can do is win a category on Jeopardy, the Bible category. Um, this isn't a game show, folks. It's real life. So this morning, I want to talk about four ways that you can connect with God. And as we begin, I think it's very important for us to remind ourselves, or maybe for me to remind you, that we're not talking about a smorgasbord here. Four things. Pick one or two if you're feeling, you know, like you have a great big appetite for God. Instead, here are four ways to connect with God, each of which is essential to the life of the disciple. And I'll tell you from the get-go, the first one is a gateway. Enter through it, you can do the other three. Don't enter through the first one, the other three are not possible for you. So, got to begin with the essential one, the, the absolute non-negotiable one. And, uh, and that way of connecting with God that begins it all, that begins spiritual life, that begins this, this lifelong relationship that we, that we construct with Jesus in conversation with him, well, Jesus himself had a, a, a term for it. And we can read about it in John chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. And I invite you to stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's word. John chapter 3 beginning with verse 3. Lord, as we turn our attention to the scriptures, we understand this is an old book. It was written in foreign languages. It was written to people who understood the world very differently than we did and had a vocabulary very distinct from ours. Somehow, the people of faith have seen fit to preserve these ancient texts And so has your Holy Spirit. You've helped the church hang on to these things because they reveal your heart to us. Having done all of that work, God, would you now one more time complete the task? As we read, would you give us some spiritual light, the ability to understand things that we've not understood before? I ask in your holy name, Lord Jesus, amen. John chapter 3, Jesus is going to begin speaking, and and he's talking to a really religious guy, a guy who thought he had a lot of the answers, and a guy that the rest of his, uh, his nation looked at and said, he's one of the great spiritual teachers. He knows all of this stuff. Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and 
be born again. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, the natural way, and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. And just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, thanks a lot, Jesus. <laughs> Listen, when, when, when somebody asks Jesus a, a question and the answer is, yeah, I don't know how to explain that, <laughs> it's not going to get explained, okay? So the inner workings of the business of being born again, the spiritual mystery, it's going to remain a mystery. There's a, there's a passage, I wish I could remember the, the reference, probably our, our little kid Bible quizzers would know it. There's this this passage that says, the secret things belong to God. How about this? How about we dig for the things that we can get, and then the internal workings of the mystery of eternal life? Do you think we can just trust God to work that in us if we pursue the things that we can get a hold of? I think we can do that. But in this passage, Jesus uh, Jesus talked about this first gateway, this first way of connecting with God, the, 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 the beginning of the whole process. And he referred to it as being born again. I remember the first time that I heard that. Uh, I have no idea why when I was three or four years old. My mom had some television preacher on, but uh, it was, I think, just right before my family started attending church at all. And, and so probably there was this, this spiritual desire or yearning in my mom's life, and she went to the most accessible thing she could find, and that was TV preachers. And I don't know, that was probably 1973 or 1974. I don't know who the guy was. All preachers wore suits and really big hair back then. He was a guy with a suit and really big hair. And um, he, he said that a person had to be born again. I remember looking at that black and white television as a little kid and thinking, that does not make sense at all. Because I was three, which means what? About as tall as this stool that I'm sitting on? And I very quickly ran the geometry and the physics through my head and realized it doesn't fit. And so I... I stood there, I can still see myself standing there in the living room of my house, looking at that preacher on the screen as he said, you must be born again. And then he read the passage that I read to you. And at the end, he said something like, get it? <laughs> and I really didn't. And, and it would be easy for me to just kind of uh, take pot shots at some unknown preacher in the past and say he should have done a better, better job at his job. But here I sit before you this morning as well saying, I don't know the inner workings of the mysteries of the Spirit. But I do know that God himself invites us into a whole new kind of life, one that is lived in relationship with him by faith, meaning you don't have to understand all of it. 
Not all of it's going to remain a mystery, but you don't have to understand all of it as well. It's, a, it's, it's like the other relationships in your life. Hey, husbands, look at me and be honest. Do you understand everything about your wife? You guys are smart. You are just silent right then. Well done. But the women, they are fearless. Women, do you understand everything about men? No. <laughs> Not at all. And yet, strangely enough, you didn't wait to get into relationship with this man or this woman. You didn't wait until you knew absolutely everything about them. Why? Two things. One, you love a little bit of mystery. And secondly, you had seen enough to decide that you could trust them. How close to right am I? Isn't that how, isn't that how your relationship began? Some of you have been married 30, 40, 50 years. There's still a little bit of mystery, but there's a whole lot more trust as time has gone by, huh? Yeah. Jesus invites us into a relationship with God, a first connection that he calls being born again because it is so transformative in your life that you find something that feels like a whole new kind of life inside of you. Where before there had been darkness and discouragement and despair, there's this hope that sometimes takes a ferocious beating but won't quite go away. There's this sense that when everything is going wrong, somehow it's going to be all right. Because we keep turning back to this God who invited us into relationship and saying, I need your help. I trust in you. You pray some version of that prayer virtually every day of your life, don't you? Yeah. Here's what you need to know. Being born again doesn't happen automatically. Uh, I think all of the women in the room who have given birth would probably say being born of the flesh does not happen automatically either, nor is it effortless. Being born of the Spirit, being born again, is not something that's just naturally going to happen to you one day when you've lived long enough or studied the Bible long enough or gone to church enough times. Being born again happens by a choice that you make to trust God enough to say, I want to have a relationship with you. And he has said, well, then part of that understanding will be that you trust my son, Jesus, to provide forgiveness of your sins. You trust him, I'll count it as trusting me and we will begin a relationship together. But it's not automatic. It's not something that happens to you in, in the sense of against your will or without you knowing someday you just, oh, wow, born again, who knew? Didn't see it coming. Instead, being born again is what happens when a person decides to place their faith in Christ and says, Will you do something for me on the inside? It changes me from the inside out. And the scriptures in many, many places throughout the New Testament tell us that God always says yes to the people who ask for that spiritual life. So just understand that to get through this, this first gate, this first way of connecting with God, you can't take a wait-and-see approach. You have to take a decide-and-seek approach. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that when, when we wrap things up today and give you an opportunity to, uh, to start this life together, to be born again today if you're not already. 
A second way, then, that you can connect with God, um, I want to talk about the second and third ways together, because I really see them as uh, flip sides of the same coin. They are not identical. They, they are two different things, but they are, they're joined enough, they're similar enough that you, you probably need to learn about each of them in relationship to the other, okay? This, this first one, it was, it was kind of a gateway to, to get you started. These next three things, and, and these two that I'm talking about right now, are the things that are going to build the kind of life that you can experience as a high-quality life. And they're going to build the kind of um, structural integrity into your life so that your faith then can last you for a lifetime. We're not talking about just satisfying some, some um, legal document that says, yes, technically I've been born again. Yes, technically I'm a Christian. Yes, technically I believe in God. We're talking about a kind of relationship that is not unlike other relationships that you have with other human beings that can be either healthy or unhealthy, that can last a lifetime or fall apart at the seams. Almost, almost none of us looks at another person that we find of great interest and says, wow, I would really like to have a short-term relationship. Man, I'm hoping this thing falls apart in a few years. Most of the time, when we see a person who is of great interest to us, whether romantically or, or, or in business or for friendship, we, we start investing in this thing in the hope that it grows and matures and develops, that it provides for us a, a, a greater sense of joy and well-being, maybe a greater sense of, of purpose in our lives. And we look forward to the notion of growing old together. If we're going to have to grow old, we want to do that together with a group of people that we love. And these two things that, that I want to talk about now are all about building the kind of relationship that can go the distance and be enjoyable while it's going the distance, okay? little confession here. Every one of us can probably name some people. We won't, out loud. But we know some folks who are just staying married because they're stubborn, right? Okay, one other person in here knows somebody like that. You do too. You do. Come on, you do too. You know some people are just... Um, they're just stubborn enough they're not going to be the one who, who calls it quits. That's not the kind of relationship that we're talking about. I got into this thing with God, and I don't know how to get out of it without losing face. No, we're talking about a quality relationship that you and I can enjoy and that has the stuff to go the distance for an entire lifetime. You interested in that? Well, then these two things you've got to put in place in your life. And the first one is called worship, and the second one is called devotion. Well, that's pretty tricky, preacher. You sucked me into saying, yeah, this is, yes, this is what I want, and then you told me, well, you got to go to church. Yes, I, I did. Let me explain it a little bit further, but yes, that is where I'm headed. Uh, worship is this, uh, this thing that we read about in the Bible, and it comes to us as a command from God to the people of God. It's not a luxurious add-on or appointment that, that we can layer onto our lives at our discretion. Instead, as God defines the relationship that he is going to have with all those who love him and follow him, he states really early on that one of the real cornerstones, the real foundation 
of lasting relationship will be that you worship him and that you worship him only. And because that's the case, you will read dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the Bible that the word worship comes not as a noun, as though it's this thing. Instead, it comes not even just as a, a verb describing what happened. It comes as a command. God saying, worship me. And I understand that living as we do in the culture in which we live with the, the uh, relationship or, or, or regard of authority that Americans have had for, oh, a couple hundred years, throw off the chains, we can be free, we can be independent, that, that coming to a God who says there's going to be demands that I make on you, commands that I require of you, makes us all kind of you know, sit up a little bit taller and say, I don't know if I want that. Whatever it is that you were hoping I would do when you asked me to be your pastor, you asked me to tell you the truth about what this book says. And I'm going to tell you this morning, having read it many, many times, that often in Scripture, when the Word shows up, it is a command from God to the people of God. It is something that He is expecting of and requiring of us. Now, if that seems a little bit heavy, just back off from it for a minute. Let's take a look at it. If God really is God, he's the ultimate, almighty, spiritual being in the universe, has all of the power, created everything, set all of what you and I know as the created order into existence and somehow in in, in those processes that he put in place with his indirect involvement and his direct involvement, you appeared on the scene. If there's a God and you are not him, but are created by him. Worship is a reasonable response to that God. If he really is all the things that the scriptures paint in terms of power and of goodness and of compassion and of love, and if you and I in any way get to benefit from those things, including our very existence, worship is a reasonable kind of response to that. And all worship is is when people get together and they say good things to God and they say good things about God to one another. Okay, there's the, there's the definition of worship. When people get together and they say good things to God and they say good things about God to one another, we call that worship. Now listen, it has to have all those components or it's something else. It may be good, but it's, it's something else. And the thing that most Americans want to make negotiable in there is the getting together part. Pastor, I can worship God as I drive down the road. Pastor, I can worship God while I'm water skiing. Pastor, I worship God in the shower. Okay. No, you don't. You don't. By very definition, you don't. You you may do the singing part. You may do the praying part. You may have some sort of spiritual encounter with God, but it isn't worship. Because worship, by its very definition, from the very beginning of the scriptures, is when the people of God get together. When the people of God get together 
to say good things to God and to one another about God. Now, I will also admit that there's a couple of places in the New Testament where the word worship is used with a little bit wider lens, okay? But I also, in in full disclosure of the truth, have to tell you, they are the minority report, okay? The vast majority of times that that the word worship is used in Scripture, it's used in the context of the people of God getting together to say good things to God and good things about God to one another. Worship, it's, uh, it's commanded, it sort of makes sense, and it does something to us. See, when, when you gather with the people of God each week, there is something that happens in your life, something good that makes you less selfish, because you've got to make room for annoying people. You have to make room for annoying people. You sometimes have to listen longer than you want to. You sometimes, you sometimes have to hear things you don't want to hear. You sometimes have to see people that you don't have that good of a relationship with and kind of sort of wished went to another church. And you have to interrupt the, 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 the rest of life and the normal schedule. And, 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 and you can't go do the things that your friends are doing on Sunday morning because you made a decision that you were going to get together with the people of God to say good things to God and good things to one another about God. And it will shape you and make you less selfish over time as you give up a little more of your preference because there's something else that you prefer, some some other people that you prefer. Listen, you're never going to learn to prefer the well-being of the people around you. That's the word for love. That's the definition of love. You're never going to learn to prefer these people in the sanctuary here if you don't spend time with them. You're never, listen, you're never going to get to the place where you're less selfish, less interested in your well-being and more invested in their well-being until you get close enough to find out how they annoy you and how this relationship's going to cost you. Does that sound anywhere close to right? Because it's the truth. See, worship will change you in ways that singing at the top of your lungs, cruising down Brighton can't. Worship. Uh, Being born again is the gateway. Worship never really happens. You getting together with the people of God and being shaped by them and by the things they say about God and by the things they sing about God and by the things that they say about God to you, the prayers that other people, that shaping thing is never going to happen in your life. And by the way, neither is the public pat on the back that God deserves. That's not going to happen really if you just go to church but are not born again. Because Jesus said worship happens, if it happens at all, in spirit and in truth. Um, There is fake news, but there's no such thing as fake worship. It isn't worship at all. You got to call it something else altogether. You call it religiosity, and it's a stench in the nostrils of God. Worship is what happens when the people of God, those who've been born of the spirit, 
gather together in the interest of just giving God what he deserves because we recognize how great and mighty that he is. He deserves a round of applause every week, a, a, a public pat on the back. But when we, when we come to do that, we, we bump into each other and worship begins to shape us into a better version of ourselves. Whenever we become convinced, interesting thing about the human race, whenever we become convinced of the goodness or beauty of something, we get creative. Every time that human beings encounter something that that they become convinced is either good or beautiful, it inspires us to make something. We get creative. And it's why when you look back over the shoulder uh, down through time of, of the development of Western civilization, that which we're most familiar with, we see these magnificent buildings and these incredible works of art and these masterpieces of music. And the vast majority of those that we have stood the test of time that we say are truly great and of enduring beauty, they were produced by Christians as an act of, um, of ecstasy because they had realized that God was good and holy and mighty. And get this, you may have noticed that I'm no Mozart. You may have noticed that I am no Stevie Ray Vaughan when that guitar is in my hands. I'm just not. The good news is that whenever human beings, even ordinary ones, become convinced that something is good or beautiful, we too begin to create. And it's where all the folk arts came from. Like the, the songs that we sing in church and, the, and the, the little skits and plays that little children do up here come Christmas time and vacation Bible school. It's why in a bunch of your Bibles or your moms or your grandpas, there are poems written and the meter isn't all that good and and they're kind of repetitious and and a little bit preachy. Why? It's because your grandma or your grandpa or your dad or you one day was just struck by the goodness and beauty of God and you started to, to make and it's why we can get together and, and make okay music, make okay drama with okay voices. And it's worship because we do it together in response to this God that we've encountered. Worship, one of the ways that you can connect with God. Another one um, is called devotion. Worship and devotion. I mentioned they're, they're flip sides of the same coin. And uh, the thing that you maybe before called worship, that thing that you did by yourself that looks real similar to the things that you do when you're with the other people of God, that's called devotion. The difference between worship and devotion primarily is whether it's a solo act or one done together with the people of God. Both of them have the power to shape us, but in very different ways. But understand this, the word worship where it appears in scripture, the vast majority of the time, um, it's a command 
from God to the people of God. It's defined as taking place in a setting, a group setting where the people of God get together to say good things to God, good things about one another to God. And the word devotion in the sense that I'm using it now doesn't show up in the Bible at all. Then why do we do it? And why do we see it as necessary? Here's the good news, guys. We have this. It's, it's a Bible. It, uh, it, it tells us some things to do, some things to avoid. It gives us some guidance, but it's not the only guidance that we have. We also have the guidance of God's Holy Spirit who can speak to our hearts. We also have the guidance of the church down through the ages. Admittedly imperfect, the church. It admittedly hasn't gotten it all right. Corrupt at times, abusive at others. Uh, but the church collectively down through time has also put their collective heads together and come up with some pretty astounding wisdom. And you can ignore it, and you haven't sinned, but you get whatever comes when you ignore wisdom. Or you can heed the wisdom of the church, and it doesn't get you into heaven. It's already taken care of by being born again. But you get all the benefits of heeding the wisdom of God's people. Now think about it for just a second. Is every idea of yours right? Have you ever really been convinced of an idea and you sat down to talk with a couple of friends and by the end of it, changed your mind? Yeah. That's what the church has provided for the individual Christ follower down through time is the collective wisdom of now billions of minds given over to God. And together, we'll mostly get it right. And the, the word that we typically use then to talk about that collective wisdom of the church is called tradition. But, it, but it's, it's not, well, we go to grandma's every Thanksgiving. It's, it's not as, as random as that. It's, it's, no, it's the considered wisdom of the collective people of God, many of whom have suffered down through time for this faith. And the tradition of the church has taught us the importance of acts of devotion, Devotion looks a lot like worship, except it's this thing that you typically do on your own in private, and it will, it will incredibly enrich your life. It, too, features things like you saying good things to God, but not to other people because there aren't any there. It's devotion. It's me and God alone. It typically involves reading the Bible like we do in this setting and praying like we do in this setting, occasionally considering some other sources of truth, some other books like we sometimes do in these kinds of settings. But friends, you need both. And it is a poor, poor, poor man or woman, an impoverished individual who says, I'll only take one. If all that ever happens to feed your spiritual life is you come here, listen, I'm going to starve you to death slowly and painfully. That's all I can do with a sermon a week, okay? I'm going to starve you to death slowly and painfully. If, if you show up here once a month and you live off of whatever happens to come on the radio or whatever thought happens to burst into your head, you are going to starve yourself to death slowly and painfully. 
How many people have Costco cards? How many people have Costco? I have one. I'm not going to ask you to take me there. How many have Costco cards? Okay. So you go to Costco, and if you're there at the right time, they have all the samples out, right? I know some of you and how you live. And you budget one less meal a month because you're going to Costco and you're going to live off the samples, right? And you taste this and you taste that and you taste this and you taste that. I'm a people watcher. And as I've told you before, germs are not my favorite thing. So I don't very often eat any of that stuff those people have handled. Um, But I watch people. And I'll see people that that's their whole trip. I mean, the wife's pushing the cart, and the husband's just going table to table to table to table. He's getting all the goodies, right? And they build it into their budget. It works. There's nothing in the world wrong with it. But listen, I'm going to tell you that if you never buy any of the stuff, if you never purchase any of the stuff that they sell at Costco, and you only go once every two weeks or once a month, you are going to starve to death slowly And painfully, do you know why those little snacks are put out there? It's so that you can go, oh, kind of good. Think I'm going to buy some of that. Going to eat a whole box of it when I get home. Yeah. Listen, the the next thing that I want to talk about, the, the, the fourth way of connecting with God, is just a sample. It's just a snack in your life. And it's the spontaneous moments of connection with God. It's not your, your daily time in which you have sat down to, to express your devotion to God. Let me back up and talk about that for just a minute. Don't overcomplicate your devotional life. Read some, pray some, repeat. Read some, pray some, repeat. Get the book that everybody, the devotional book that everybody's reading this year, or don't. Read some, pray some. Repeat. Just do that daily. Carve out a a spot in your house and a spot in your schedule when you can't get disturbed. For me, that means getting up before anybody else in the house. And I read some and I pray some. I'm going to do it again tomorrow. But that's that's a scheduled, disciplined part of my life. The fourth thing that I want to talk about, the fourth way to connect with God are these spontaneous kind of moments in which we connect with him and it isn't planned and it isn't in a necessarily in a a group worship setting. It's just this thing that happens when all of a sudden I realize, oh, God's close. And, and, And sometimes it's because I was seeking him and sometimes it's because he was seeking me but I'm just going about my day and all of a sudden I realize I have a God encounter. Listen, it's heavenly. It's fantastic. It really is some of the most enjoyable stuff of the Christian life. But it's a snack. It does not have whatever it takes to build a life, a spiritual life that will last you all your life long but it's provided by God for your enjoyment and for your pleasure. And it does strengthen you some. Four ways that you can connect with God. The first one is absolutely essential. It's not automatic. You're going to have to seek it. It's being born again. But these other three things, you know what I've found? They're essential to the Christian experience as well. If I don't regularly gather with the people of God 
If I do not make it a priority in my life, then I will make me the ultimate priority in my life. God is a jealous God, and he is going to argue with you about that. Arguing with God means years of unpleasantness. When we make God the God of our lives, we then humble ourselves enough to say, I'll rearrange life where worship becomes a centerpiece. But because I also know that Cliff's not that good a preacher, he's going to starve me to death slowly and painfully, I'm going to put in place the other days of the week acts of devotion. I'm going to show him that I'm devoted to him by listening, reading, and by talking, praying. And we'll do that a little bit each day. Like you do with, you know, all the relationships that are most important to you. If you seek the first, being born again, and you commit yourselves to worship and to devotion, my friends, I promise you that those spontaneous moments of connection with God, they'll be multiplied in your life. And you will have a greater depth of of, of spirituality by which to enjoy them. And they will enrich your life greatly. I said as I was getting started, it wasn't four options, pick one. The vast majority of people in this world have settled for spontaneous moments. Just open to run into God once in a while, have a little religious experience and call her good. Lots of people were born again, but have never committed themselves to worship or to devotion. And because of it, they think of their spiritual life largely in past tense. I remember when that happened. I remember when I felt close to God. I remember when I had spiritual strength. But for all those who've been born again, there is a way set out for us to build a life, a spiritual life that is healthy, enjoyable, and lasting. And it means worship and devotion and you and God together being spontaneous and having a grand old time now and again. But I also said at the beginning that you can't do any of those last three if you don't do the first. It's a gateway. The gateway to all that good life that I talked about where you really connect with the God who made you, it can only happen if you make a first-time connection with him called being born again. I'll do my very best to uh, wrap it up this way, to um, boil it all down. Jesus and his first followers taught us that being born again means a very small handful of things. Number one, I recognize that I don't currently have a relationship with God that is anything to life-giving. And I want that. Secondly, I understand that there are probably some things that stand in the way of a healthy relationship with God. I've done some bad things that leave me feeling ashamed and that I know are not pleasing to God. I have a hard time looking him in the eye. I have a hard time believing that he'd want anything to do with a person like me. The third thing then 
is taking a look at what Jesus and his first followers had to say about that state of affairs, the the state of the relationship, the state of the union between you and God. And God looks at it and says, there is no reason that those things should be left in place and keeping you from me. So how about this? Ask me to forgive you and I will. Understanding that that forgiveness comes at a price. That you don't have to go and buy it and there's nothing you can do to earn it in terms of good behavior. But Jesus has done that for you. If you will dare to believe that Jesus is a reasonable substitution for you, that God looks at him and says, I'll take Jesus' obedience and I'll take Jesus' sacrifice and I will credit it to your account because Jesus loves you enough to give it away. If you'll trust me to do that, I will forgive you and I'll give my spirit to you. Somehow, your spirit and the spirit of God end up in mystical union and you find new life. For some people, it is an ecstatic moment. You'll see them laughing or crying or doing both at the same time. And for others, it's just this quiet realization. And for others, they don't feel much at all. But they commit themselves to God in quiet trust. Friends, if today... um, You don't know whether you have been born again. Let's take care of that. If you would like to be, I'll pray a prayer here in just a moment. And um, why don't you just, and and I don't want you to repeat it like it's something you have to recite, but why don't you pray a prayer kind of like the one I'm praying to God? You don't even have to say it out loud. He knows your thoughts. And then, when you have prayed that prayer, I'll say an amen, and I'm going to ask who made that decision today. Instead of doing it in hiding or in privacy, why don't you take a, a first step toward entering the people of God? How about your first act of worship is, I'll confess that I just became one of the people of God. Let's pray that prayer. Lord, I thank you that you have made a way for us to have a relationship with you. There are people sitting here this morning who came in here feeling like you guys were a million miles apart. And they would like to be born again. They want real spiritual life. They're asking you for it now. It's a stretch but they're going to believe that what Jesus did in dying on the cross provided enough sacrifice for them to be forgiven. As they stretch out there to believe it, would you count their faith, Lord, as righteousness? With some shame, some real guilt, We're confessing to you the things that we know have been displeasing to you. Lord, hear our prayers.
for all these things we ask you, Lord, have mercy on us and please forgive us. And we welcome you into our lives. We don't understand how that works. It's not geometry and it's not physics. It's not how does big old God fit in little old me. We want there to be a mystical union between our spirits, our hearts, our minds. And we welcome you in now. And we're going to call you our God and we're going to take delight in being called your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey friends, how about this? How about this business of being born again? Did it, did it happen for you today? If so, and you want to take your first step into among the people of God as an act of worship, giving God credit and glory for what he's done. If you prayed that prayer today and, and you realize you were born again today, would you just raise your hand? Anybody? Yeah? Fantastic. That's the very, yeah, that's the very best stuff in life. Two people among us experienced that today. How do you feel about that first, Naz? That's awesome. That is awesome. So the only, the only words of instruction that I would give to those who, who were born again today is the same instruction that I give to everybody here. Meet with us regularly for worship. Meet with God regularly on your own. And then just develop a little peripheral vision and God will come sneaking into and sometimes barging into your life on a regular basis and it will be to your soul's delight. Stand with me, please. Lord, I want to give you thanks this morning. One more time, with my imperfect inability to explain your love and your life, you've still convinced people, and you've still come to people, and you have given some people new birth among us today. We praise your holy name. And now I ask, Lord, that you would preserve and keep that which has been surrendered to you this day. All glory to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. My friends, may you know the presence of God and the very real peace that comes with him. And may it be to your soul's delight and joy. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.